There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. Well, it's hard to believe it's Friday again here on the podcast, but this is the fifth day of the week that we've recorded. We thank the Lord for the privilege we have, thank the Lord for the freedom we still have, the opportunity to put out this podcast. It wouldn't be possible if it were not for you listeners, and so we thank God for each and every one of you. Let me just say this. We are going to talk about just for a few moments here about a printing ministry, one that I've known and been involved with for, I guess, probably about 17 years now, and it's the Blessed Hope Baptist Church in Lumberton, Mississippi, and uh, the printing ministry they've run there now for over 25 years, and it's not anything fancy. It's not this high-gloss, high-energy modernistic type uh, printing that so many have gone to, but it's just an old-fashioned printing ministry. They still use uh, older presses. They use folder staplers and have folks making stuff by hand down there and shipping by hand and folding by hand. And so I want to make you aware of that. Those of you that need good Bible tracks, they can send you a sample pack. But I'll tell you, there's two ways to contact them. You contact the pastor His number is 601-731-8755. And then you can also write to them at 88 Caney Church Road, Lumberton, Mississippi, 39455. And so I want to make you aware of that. They also, they spend about $1,500 a week producing tracts and booklets and pamphlets. Uh, They're reproducing the Trail of Blood. They've been doing that for over 20 years. And so we just want to make you aware of that. If you're able to maybe help them financially, order some tracks from them, get a sample pack from them, I think it would be a blessing to you. We're back in Job chapter 9 again today, and we're back in Job 9 looking at Job in the eyes of a prophet. And I'm not going to try to take any more time to explain uh, why we see Job as a prophet. We just have to look at the prophecy he prophesied. This place is that it cannot be Job. And we also have understanding, according to Scripture, James said we know the patience of Job. Uh, Job was known for his patience. He sat there and waited on God. In his calamity, he waited on God. In the sufferings of his life, he waited on God. So again, we know this is, yes, partially the sufferings of Job, but then we see so many places that it's beyond the sufferings of Job. God was not judging Job for his unrighteousness. He was a perfect man. He was an upright man. He's one that feared God. He escheweth evil. And yet we see a man here that is being judged. And that's what the Lord is showing us in this, is we see a man under the wrath of God, a man under the judgment of God. And it's not allegorical. And if we could just get that through to people, get the the mindset away, we're not looking at allegory here. We're not looking at Pilgrim's Progress. This is not typology. This is the literal. This is what Job is speaking of. And so many times in those Messianic Psalms, folks would look at that as allegory, or they would look at that as, as, as a uh, po- poem, like a more of a poetic psalm. And I don't see the, many of those psalms as poetic. I see them as literal. If you just take exactly what the Word of God says 
And I realized that's the Bible literalist way, and there's great controversy about that. I had contention again this week with a man over the issue of the King James Bible. He agreed with everything that I said, but when it got down to it, what he really means is there are men out there smarter than me, more educated than me, and those men don't believe the King James Bible, so I need to consider what they have to say because of their education, because of their level of understanding beyond my comprehension. And I just don't agree with that. And I and I can't agree with that on any level because this is a book that God has given us for the most simple of men. This is a book that God gave to uneducated people. This is a book that God gave to the most simple-minded people. If we come with childlike faith, we can believe the word of God. And one of the greatest things God can do for you is to reveal himself to you personally. And he does that first by exposing who you are and what you are. And then he'll reveal his son to you. And the greatest gift that God can give you is to reveal yourself for what you really are. People struggling with sin, people struggling in their lost estate, can't find assurance of faith. And so many times they say, I don't know what's keeping me. I don't know what's keeping me. And the reality is one by one, as the layers are peeled off, what it boils down to, those that have gone through that have come to faith say they would not see themselves as God sees them. They would refuse to see what God really sees, the vileness and the awfulness of their life. In Job chapter 9, we see many of these things, and we're going to start again in verse 23. If the scourge slays suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covered the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? And so again, the questioning of the Lord is, is, is also answered in the question. Because in verse 23, it says, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. Who is that? Jesus Christ. He's judged. He's been made sin. God sees him as a sinner. God sees him as sin. It said in verse 25, it says, Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. Yet Job had seen good in his life. Job had seen the good things of God in his life. Job still can see the good, the goodness of God. We see that in the places where Job speaks of God's righteousness and God's goodness. But in this particular passage here, as he's speaking as a prophet, and in verse 26, they are passed away as the swift ships, that's his days, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint, there's one of those key words we've looked at, the complaint. We see that all through Psalms, all through other prophets. And I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. Now, Job is speaking here, and he has understanding of the complaint. But yet at the same time, we see Jesus Christ in his sufferings. We see the complaint that he comes before the Lord. We see him in the bitterness of his complaint. We see so many times his complaint is brought before God, and he does that. Why? Because he's the son of God. He's coming as a son to the Father, yet he's been judged for sin. He's damned for sin. And one of the great things that we look at in Scripture, and we talked about it earlier in this week, is the soul of Jesus Christ. We must have that understanding. We must have understanding of the body of Jesus Christ, the tears of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. Ever since 1978, I believe it was, that John MacArthur made that statement that the blood of Jesus Christ had no more value than of goats or of bullocks. And he's since changed and altered that statement. But what folks don't realize is he's a five-point true hyper-Calvinist. Therefore, what does the blood do? You're either elect or you're not. What purpose is the blood? And if they would see it in the light of that and understand this man is absolutely a heretic, but yet there's men that still kind of follow his teachings and follow his doctrines. But what he will not deal with is the soul of Jesus Christ. 
And what most Baptists today, they contend for the blood because of what John MacArthur said, because Jack Hiles brought that to the mainstream back in the late 70s and early 80s, and he would continually speak about that wherever he went. So everybody's on board with preaching on the blood. Everybody's on board by talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not contending over the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank God for that precious blood of the Lamb. I thank God for that blood that was shed for us. He washed us in his own blood. He has purged us from our sins. However, that has been the focus for so long that everything else has just kind of slipped through the cracks. And you can, you're fine talking about the blood of Jesus Christ, but you go in the average independent Baptist church today or an independent Bible church today or a, a congregational Baptist church today, and you go in there and you preach on the body of Jesus Christ, they look at your cross-eyed. You preach on the soul of Jesus Christ, they don't look at your cross-eyed, they'll begin to write papers about you. You try to talk to men about the soul of Jesus Christ, and they're not only to contend with you and write papers about you, they'll write to their favorite author, and he'll put your name in his next book because it's such an obscure idea today is such a fake idea to most people today, the absurdity, yet the, the word of God speaks often of his soul. Job is showing here the damnation of Jesus Christ. He's been offered for sin. He's been made sin. He's complained to the Father. He says, leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I said, I am afraid of all my sorrows. Why? He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. Yes, all of us have sorrow. All of us have grief. But Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows. What does that mean? From that point where he went on in his life, his life was sorrows and grief. That's all he had. He was judged. He was under wrath. He was under condemnation, all of those things. And so he has sorrow beyond sorrow. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. Why? Because he's going to be judged for sin. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch and mine own clothes shall abhor me. Now, again, people might contend over that and say, well, I, I don't see that as, as Jesus Christ there, but how clean can your hands be? And yet the word of God said of Jesus Christ that it was his own clean hands that delivered him. And that is in Job 18. We've talked about that many times, talked about that often. Uh, but he, he delivered him he, because he delighted in him. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Hath he recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. That's Psalm 18, 18 through 20. And so we see the deliverance of Jesus Christ by the cleanness of his hands. Did he have to wash his hands? No. He did not have to wash his hands. His hands were clean. He had done no sin. He was made sin. He had not committed sin. It was not in him to sin. He was the son of God. He was God in flesh. It was not in his ability to sin. He did not need to clean his hands or to wash his hands. And yet he said, thou shalt plunge me in the ditch and mine own clothes shall abhor me for he is not a man, the Lord, as I am, that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. And so again, Job is speaking that thing that is right. And all through these scriptures, we see it woven through. They're speaking of Jesus Christ, the sufferings of Christ. And that's in the volume of the book, it is written of me. We see him in the garden. We see him in Noah. 
We see him in the life of Abraham, each of his sons. We see him in the deliverance of the children of Israel. We see him, of course, in that cloud, in that pillar. We see him in the tabernacle. We see him in the law. We see him in the sacrifices. So why is it that in the prophets, it seems like it's so obscure to people, they can only see him in the places where the commentaries told them this is true prophecy of Jesus Christ, and they cannot see him in other places. Yet this volume is written of him. Verse 33, neither is there any days man betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not his fear terrify me. There's the terror of Calvary. There's the fright of Calvary. We saw it so many times in the Messianic Psalms. Terrors have come upon him. He said a horror hath overwhelmed him. The awfulness of seeing himself as that sacrifice, the awfulness of seeing himself speaking by the Spirit of Christ, that one that is to be offered by the knowledge of God, he shall justify many. And we see that in his servant, Jesus Christ. He said, let not fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him but is not so with me. This concludes Job 9, but I want to go ahead and give a preface a little bit here to Job 10, because as we look at this, we're going to go into this a little bit more and an understanding of what Job is doing here. Job is suffering. David suffered. David wrote his greatest Psalms of Jesus Christ in his sufferings. We see that in the cave. We see that in the wilderness. We see that fleeing from Saul, fleeing from Absalom. In the time of his suffering, he prophesied greatly. In the time of his recovery from sin, we see great prophecies of David when he went into sin. Then the awfulness of his sin, yet we see that in those times of calamity, he did his greatest prophecy. He did his greatest writing. Why? God brought him low that he would look up. God brought him low to use him. So it is with Job. God has turned Job over, removed the hedge from him. Satan has destroyed his family, destroyed his flocks, taken all that he hath except for his wife, destroyed his flesh. He's now covered. He is covered with sores, and he's sitting there in the ashes, scraping them, and then the Spirit of Christ comes upon him, and he begins to speak, and he's speaking of those things which are to come. And we need to have that mindset of looking at this just purely as Job's suffering, as Job's calamity. And that's what people turn to. And I'm not criticizing. God knows I'm not criticizing. Please don't think that. But folks have great calamity. What do they do? They read the book of Job. I know lost people that in the sufferings of life and the affairs of life that overwhelm them, they read the book of Job. They find solace in Job. They find comfort in Job. And I think without realizing that the comfort is because he's speaking of Jesus Christ. The comfort is in the words of God. In the word of God, speaking by the spirit of Christ. That's why Job is a comfort. It's not that we compare ourselves to Job and realize, oh, Job had it far worse than me. I'll find comfort in that. No, we see Jesus Christ had it far worse than us. And yet Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life. He willingly gave himself on the cross. And I find comfort in that. And I find comfort today in knowing what Christ has gone through. I'm still under the weather. I've had some uh, stomach, stomach issues, had some flu bug issues, and have been staying home here for the last several days, kind of homebound. It's spring. It's beautiful out. I'm a little bit pent up. That's a bit of a frustration to me. Uh, but I was telling my wife again just the other day, I said, you know, it'd be an awful thing for me to complain. It'd be an awful thing for me to murmur about this little bit of calamity that's come upon me in light of what Christ has done for me. That's why we find comfort in Job. That's why we find rest in Job. That's why God ministers to us in Job, because he's speaking by the Spirit of Christ. As we go into chapter 10, I do pray you'd look ahead, 
read chapter 10, we'll look again as we see more of the words of Jesus Christ. Have a great weekend of the Lord. Have a great Lord's Day at the house of God. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption calleth not. Now the angels of God are rejoicing, for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing.